In June of 2018, when Irving Lozano scored a goal for Mexico in the group stage of the World Cup, two monitoring stations in Mexico City at that exact moment detected tremors measuring 2.0 on the Richter scale. Uh, The folks uh, in charge of the stations determined that Uh, The celebration of the fans who witnessed the first goal for either team that allowed Mexico to defeat defending World Cup champion Germany, their celebration caused an artificial earthquake. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, who even cares about soccer? I get it. I was in the same place you are right now. But for the sake of time, uh, let's ignore that and not get hung up with that. Instead, I need you to picture that celebration in your mind. I need you to imagine hundreds of thousands of people jumping up and down. I need you to see their faces painted red, white, and green. I need you to conjure up in your mind images of unfiltered joy and excitement and high fives. And I need you to hear them singing, Ole, 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 ole. Come on, where's my soccer people at? Ole, 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 ole. This is what they're doing and they're getting excited. And while you're playing this scene in your mind, I need you to hear this verse from Nehemiah. Many sacrifices were offered on that joyous day, for God had given the people cause for great joy. The women and children also participated in the celebration, and the joy of the people of Jerusalem could be heard far away. So here's my question. At what point did our celebration move from this, celebrating God, to celebrating goals? Like at what point... Did we quit causing earthquakes for our Savior and start causing earthquakes for sports? I ask this because according to Scripture, God has designed the world in such a way that people would be marked by joy and celebration. I know you're probably skeptical about that, but of all people, Christians should be known as party people. And you're even more skeptical about that because you know some Christians. You've met some followers of Jesus who who claim to know him, but apparently nobody told their face because they're just angry all the time and they're just grumpy all the time and just generally irritable. But that's not what God intended. God intended for a movement of people known as the church. I hope you realize church is not a place for you to go. Church is not a building. You don't go to church. You are the church. God intended for this group of people, known as the church, to be marked by joy and gladness and cheer. God wants His house to be known for its parties. Now, I'm guessing from the looks on your faces, that's not your experience, uh, parties at church. I'm guessing many of you would not uh, describe that as how you grew up. Uh, I'm guessing when you were a kid, nobody clued you in on the fact that you're not supposed to be excited when you go to church, and you went for that first time, and you were excited because that's what kids are, and they had a smile on their face, and they were just generally happy, but then when people saw them, and their parents specifically, they were like, what are you doing? Wipe that smile off your face. You're in church. This is not a place to be excited. I can remember growing up in a church, and 
Uh, it was a place where if the kids got too loud, the pastor would scold the parents from the pulpit. And as a leader of a church, it's heartbreaking to know that people's idea of church is one where you're supposed to sit quietly and fold your hands and walk around with a scowl on your face because this is supposed to be a place of solemn reverence. How horrible would God's plan be if it's centered around, do what I say and hate it? Who would want to serve a God if worship was about being quiet and standing there and staring at the band while they sing some songs? And if you're lucky, when the pastor gets up, he'll go deep and you can leave the building feeling confused and that was totally worth it. Sounds more like hell to me than heaven. But let me show you something in Scripture to help prove to you that God's idea of church looks more like a rave Then it does a grave. This is Psalm 150. Praise the Lord! Exclamation point. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heaven. Praise Him for His mighty works. Praise Him for His unequaled greatness. Praise Him with a blast of the ram's horn. Praise Him with lyre and harp and electric guitar. Praise Him with the tambourine and dancing. Uh Uh-oh. What? Dancing? What Bible are you reading from, Pastor? Praise Him with strings and flutes. Praise Him with a clash of cymbals. Praise Him with loud clanging cymbals. People ask me, why is your music so loud? Because I believe in the Bible. And I'm just trying to live by it and be biblical. Uh, It says, verse 6, Let everything that breathes sing praises to the Lord. People say, I don't like to sing. Well, do you like to breathe? Because apparently... They work hand in hand. Now, I know you're still skeptical about all this because if you were paying attention, nowhere in any of that verse did it say anything about partying. It said praise. And so, yeah, you'll agree that we should do a better job of getting excited and, you know, maybe lift our hands during worship and, you, you know, we could shout a little bit and let the music get loud and not complain about it and maybe even throw in a dance move, you know, every now and then. Uh, Because praise, yes, I I totally see that, that's in there, but party, that's a little bit of a stretch. You should know that while you were at your real job this week, I was reading and studying, and I found that that word translated there in your Bible as praise is the Hebrew word hillel. It literally means to make a show or celebrate. In other words, party. Uh, It shows up as praise in English, but it could be translated party. That's why I like to remind you that church should look way more like a party than a funeral because we have something to celebrate. Our God is not dead. He is alive and He's here and we have hope. And if you'll commit to following Him, your life will be changed forever. Like forever, ever? Forever and ever. Shout out to Miss Jackson and Outcast. That being said, Let's be honest with one another. This praise and this partying is not meant to be a denial of reality. I watch the news just like you do. I get the prayer requests that you all send in like you. I too have a hard time understanding what possible good can come from a child being abused. I like you have firsthand seen the wickedness of human beings. I can't 
completely rectify in my mind why uh, God would allow wicked people to prosper. I don't fully grasp why He allows certain things to happen when He is fully capable of stopping them. So I'm not saying when we come in here, we should just pretend that everything is okay when they're not okay. What I'm saying is, our praise and our partying should come from the reality that one day God is going to look down and He's going to say, enough. And one day God is going to look at His Son Jesus and say, today's the day. Saddle up your horse, unsheathe your sword, ride down there and you're going to make everything new. And what I'm saying is we can come in here and we can rejoice no matter what's going on in our lives because we are confident when that day comes, when God has made sure that everyone has been invited to His party, He's going to send His Son Jesus back. And the opportunity before us all today is to be welcomed into that much-anticipated party. And I wonder if maybe we spend too much of our lives hanging on our hope, hanging our hope on getting answers for questions in life that perplex us and overwhelm us when maybe the certainty that explanations do exist for everything might be causing us to miss the real meaning of it all. As a matter of fact, more often than you're not, more often than not, the Bible shrugs off your questions. It says, you don't need to worry about it. Deuteronomy 29, 29 effectually says that uh, God reveals what He wants to. You should be glad that He reveals anything at all, but the secrets are still His. And sometimes there are things about this world we won't understand. But that shouldn't cause us to praise God less, but rather praise God more because of His infinite wisdom. Mike Cosper writes, God invites us to take a tour of the mad, mad world around us, to see ourselves as one mystery among the many, and to trust Him that it all makes sense in some cosmic, strange cosmic way. And so I want to show you in your Bible that God's plan for you does include partying. But first, let me kind of catch us all up. We've been in a series of messages called Lost Art. And these weeks together, we've been trying to recover some lost skills in our culture. Uh, like the monuments men of World War II, whose job was to strap on the uniform and go reclaim lost art in enemy territory, we too are traversing some ho- uh, hostile waters and trying to recover some lost art. Two weeks ago, we talked about the lost art of work, about how when work is a blessing, a life is a joy, but when work is a duty, life is bondage. And we discover that most people hate their job because they misunderstand their job. Uh, You're supposed to be working for prosperity, or you're not supposed to be working for prosperity, excuse me, you're supposed to be working for purpose. Last week, we unearthed the lost art of communication. We found out how we needed to talk to people, not about people. That we don't need to be airing our gossip all over social media. And we were designed by God to have intimate, face-to-face conversation with, <coughs> excuse me, with each other. Uh, if you missed any of the messages, you can check them out online. But today we're going to recover the lost art of partying. So you can jot this down if you're taking notes. From the past to the present, God has always ordained partying. From the beginning of time all the way up until now, 
God has always prescribed for his people partying. Uh, We're going to journey all the way from the Old Testament through the New Testament. We're going to see that God has consistently, in his character, been about parties. Which, if you're new to the whole Bible thing, that's okay. You can follow along here on screen. But if you're able to kind of jump around with me and keep up, you need to start out in Leviticus chapter 23. Uh, I want to show you that I'm not making any of this up. It's all right there for you to read as well. Leviticus is the book of law. Leviticus is Latin, literally means Levites. In Hebrew, the initial writings were called the Torah Koanim, or Law of the Priests. That's what a Levite was, a priest. They were important uh, because they essentially were the police of the day, and they were uh, instructed by God to enforce laws. And I want you to notice a specific law in chapter 23. It reads, The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, These are my appointed festivals, the appointed festivals of the Lord, which you are to proclaim as sacred assemblies. <coughs> so notice, first of all, God appointed festivals. He started a new Google calendar. He blocked out some dates. He shared it over the cloud, said, I'm going to need you to remember these dates and uh, celebrate them. Uh, these are my festivals. Which what's, what's another word for festival? Party. Absolutely. Notice, secondly, that these parties are described as sacred or holy. Unfortunately, that's not what we think of when we think of parties. When we think of parties, we think of drinking and debauchery and perversion, but the world has hijacked our definition of party. Just for the record, it does the same thing with all kinds of provisions from God. How about sex and money? Both good gifts from God, uh, but culture has turned them into ultimate things. Point being, our enemy, the devil, will always take a good thing and allow you to experience it, especially if God has given it to you, and then he'll try and turn it into an ultimate thing. So you no longer look to God to say thanks for those things, but rather you chase after them instead of seeking after him. Uh, But here's what I want you to know about partying. Partying is not a rejection of the kingdom of God. Partying reveals the kingdom of God. Partying, since it was instituted by God, is not a rejection of God but rather it reveals his character. Now, you might be wondering, what is the kingdom of God? That's a good question. Jesus was asked the same question when he was alive. We're not to the New Testament quite yet, but Luke chapter 17, Jesus is questioned about the kingdom of God. And he says, I am the kingdom of God. Furthermore, when a guy named John the Baptist, before Jesus was preaching the message of forgiveness and salvation, The moment he saw Jesus, he said the kingdom of God is at hand. Throughout the Old Testament and New Testaments, the common motif is that God is the king of the universe. And so the kingdom of God is everything that you see around you. And Jesus reigns and rules over all of it. And in God's goodness as king, he created the world and everything in it. And the crowning achievement of this was us, human beings, made in God's image, and we are meant to be His viceroys here on earth. Now, you don't have to like this, but the fact of the matter is we were created by God to worship Him as King. He's not an ideology. He's not of 
set of rules to follow. He's not a nice way to relate to people. He is the sovereign emperor over all existence. Now you can push back on that and say, well, that seems very megalomaniacal on God's part. Like, why does God need my worship? He doesn't. We don't worship God because He needs it. We worship God because He deserves it. We worship God because He created us at all. We worship God because He's God and we're not. We're just coming out of this Christmas season when the king of the universe literally entered into human history, born as a baby. And I want you to notice what the angel said to the shepherds uh, on the night Jesus was born. He said, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring what? Help me out. Great joy for all people. That is why we worship. Because we have great joy. The angel tells the shepherds, stop what you're doing. Take notice. God is revealing something that will bring great joy. I guess I could say it this way. True joy or true partying is an invitation to explore the mind of God. True joy and true partying will leave you feeling happy after, not miserable is great joy. True parting is learning how to slow down and take notice of how good God is. How good is God that He gave us flavors and gave us 10,000 taste buds that rejuvenate every two weeks. So even if you can't wait and bite into that hot pocket too soon and burn your mouth, just wait 10 days and you'll still be able to understand if something tastes sweet, sour, bitter, or salty. How good is God that he gave somebody the idea to look at a chicken and say, whatever comes out of this chicken, I'm going to crack it open and put it in boiling water and poach it and eat it. And it's going to taste like biting into an angel. You know, I don't even know what that means, but that's what a poached egg tastes like. Now, how good is God that he told somebody, you know what, you should take that egg and combine it with flour and sugar and and butter and vanilla and through what can only be described as witchcraft, they knew exactly the right amounts of how much to use in all of those ingredients and the exact right temperature at which to bake those ingredients afterward in order for us to get heaven's breakfast. Come on, somebody. Chocolate chip cookies, anybody? You with me on all that? Like what? in the world, what kind of sense of humor must God have that he he convinced somebody to walk up to a cow, squeeze its udders, and whatever comes out, you should drink that. And after God got a good chuckle out of that, he said, okay, now mix that cream with some sugar and freeze it. Amen to ice cream. Hello. God is good. Tell me he's not after your joy. Are you serious? Let's look at another passage before I get t- too carried away. I had a whole, whole bunch of other examples I could have given you. but uh, I'm trying to prove that partying has always been God's idea. We saw him put it on the calendar in Leviticus. Uh, turn a few pages to your right. Find Second Chronicles chapter 20. There's an army trying to invade Judah where the people of God are living. The king, Jehoshaphat, says this, Do not be afraid... 
Don't be discouraged by this mighty army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. I wish we had time to talk about how some of you all are fighting battles that are not yours. They're God's, and it's going to turn out the wrong way unless you leave it up to God, but I ain't got time for that. Verse 18, Then King Jehoshaphat bowed low with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem did the same, worshiping the Lord. Then the Levites, the priests from the clans of Koath and Korah, stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud shout. Somebody shout at me right now. That's what church is supposed to look like. Early the next morning, the army of Judah went out to the wilderness of Tekoa. On the way, Jehoshaphat stopped and said, Listen to me, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be able to stand firm. Believe in His prophets, you will succeed. After consulting the people, the king appointed singers to walk ahead of the army? This can't be good. Who's not joining the choir anymore? Y'all are about to be the first ones to die. But singing to the Lord and praising Him for His holy splendor, this is what they sang. Give thanks to the Lord, our God and King. His love endures forever. For He is good. He is above all things. Endures forever. At that very moment, they began to sing and give praise. The Lord caused the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Sar to start killing each other. They didn't even have to lift a hand in battle. Then led by Jehoshaphat, all the men of Judah and Jerusalem returned joyfully to Jerusalem, for the Lord had given them cause to party. They entered Jerusalem and went to the temple of the Lord with harps and lyres, And our boy, Louis Armstrong, was even there getting it on the trumpet. Now, why is this recorded for us? In my estimation, God is teaching us that sometimes you might have to fight through some bad days in order to have the best days. Yeah, partying is God's idea. It's appointed and ordained by Him, but you might have to fight through some bad days in order to have the best days, parties. I would contend going to battle first thing in the morning is not the start to your best day. I would challenge you to read those seven parties that were instituted by God back there in Leviticus. See how many of them came after a bad day. Spoiler alert. All of them, and not just a bad day, a bad 400 years. It was a rough 146,000 days for the people of God before they had reason to party. Uh, People ask, why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? I don't know, but I know appreciation will lead to celebration. I know you can't understand the bad unless you've experienced the good. And I know you can't understand what's good unless you've experienced what's bad. You hearing what I'm saying? I know that you can't go to the gym to get swole unless you get sore first. I know that that Jesus had to go through the worst of days so that we could have the best of days. And I know that because God wanted to give you an eternal celebration with Him in heaven, there needed to be a way for you to be made sinless. Because there's not uh, sin allowed in heaven. And even though you'll continue to struggle with sin every day that you're alive on this earth, I know that because of Jesus, all of your sin can be forgiven. Past, present, 
and future. It's the good news of the Bible. It's what makes Christianity distinct and different from every other so-called world religion. God loves you. He cares for you. He sent His Son, Jesus. He's handwritten an invitation for you on some, you know, trendy, recycled, brown craft paper with a gel pen because Jesus is creative. Uh, he's, He's written you the invitation to join Him in His eternal heavenly partying. Partying has always been, from past to present, ordained by God. As a matter of fact, the partying that we clearly see here in the Old Testament, it continues into the New Testament, especially into the Gospels, which chronicle Jesus' life, so much so that Jesus is accused of indulging in parties and being a drunk. That's Luke 7.34. You should know Jesus' first miracle was turning water into wine at a wedding party, John 2, 1-10. He was anointed for His burial at a dinner party, Luke 7.36. We're told that when a sinner repents, heaven throws a party, Luke 15. When Jesus spoke of the kingdom of heaven, he called it a banquet party, Luke 14. This is one that really caught my attention, Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up, followed him. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home for a dinner party, along with many other tax collectors and disreputable sinners. Meaning, when Matthew wasn't sure what to do in order to follow Jesus, he just did what he'd always done, and he threw a party. If you'll continue reading on through the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, uh, into the book of Acts, there's an event called the Day of Pentecost. And at this event, God's Holy Spirit so empowered the disciples that eyewitnesses assumed that these followers of Jesus were drunk because they had no frame of reference in order to describe the joy that they were witnessing. And I wanted to make sure I pointed out the day of Pentecost to you because if you would read there in Leviticus, one of the uh, parties that God commanded was Pentecost. And it followed Pentecost. Passover. And Penta means 50. And 50 days after Passover, the Israelite people were commanded by God to celebrate another party called Pentecost. Now, for us here in the New Testament, uh, this is important because Jesus was crucified on Passover. He was in the tomb three days. He rose from the dead and spent 40 days here on the earth. Bible records for us that his disciples were in an upper room in Jerusalem praying for a week. If you're keeping score at home, three days in the tomb, 40 days here on earth, plus a week up uh, praying equals 50 days. The day of Pentecost, by no coincidence, fell on actual Pentecost and God's ultimate party where 3,000 people came to meet Jesus as Lord and Savior. Must have been a blowout party in heaven on that day. And here's what we learn. A true party requires community and commemoration. A true party brings people together in community and it celebrates something truly awesome, a commemoration of what we would call the life of Jesus saving the world. Now, all that's good information. We, we see 
partying throughout the Bible, but what should we do because of it? You know, if partying has always uh, been ordained by God, how does partying and reclaiming the lost art of partying impact our lives today? Maybe the question you should be asking yourself is how can we participate with God who is at work inviting people in our neighborhoods and our communities to his party? Well, my challenge to you would be to throw a party of your own. You mean like have people over to my house? Yes, that's exactly what I mean. Go to Home Depot, go to some tool rental place, get one of those big old oversized heaters, throw it out on the driveway, throw some dogs on the grill, invite the people over to your house and celebrate another day here on planet Earth. I hope you realize God is not more impressed by you crossing an ocean than he is crossing the street. You tracking with what I'm saying? God's just as excited about you leading your neighbor to Jesus as he is somebody who's been called to go overseas to lead them to Jesus. There are people in your neighborhoods. There are people on your street. There are people at your school. There are people at your work that need to know the good news of Jesus Christ. Well, pastor, I have to get up for work early. It sounds like that could go late into the night. Listen, nobody looks back on their life and remembers the nights they got plenty of sleep. You know what I'm saying? So you might as well just risk it and invite some people over and enjoy celebrating God. Take the time to get to know people. Stay up late. Have fun. Laugh deep into the night. And if you're still not comfortable doing that, I'll give you a simpler suggestion that you can do. Invite the people this coming Sunday to the barn at Grace Hill at 11 o'clock where we're about to throw a mega huge party. Now we're calling it worship night, but they don't need to know that. Just tell them you're going to a party. There's going to be a live band and music and food and all kinds of stuff. And it's going to be an amazing time together. Fight somebody to a party. It'll be awesome. But at the end of the day, you cannot be a follower of God if you're not in a community celebrating and commemorating the life of Jesus. And I need to show you one more thing. Remember our boy Matthew, the tax collector, uh, and how he, he, when he didn't know what to do, he decided to throw a party. Well, look at how he describes Jesus's overall demeanor at the party. I'll try and emphasize this so you get the gist of it. And as Jesus reclined at the table, the old tax collector, as soon as they came, they were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. Did you notice it? Tried to help you out. Uh, In case you're wondering, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I found 21 references to Jesus reclining at a dinner table, one of them being right before he was about to be brutally crucified and murdered. How could Jesus, in light of everything he had to do, in light of the fact that he was about to be brutally murdered, have the audacity to recline at a dinner party? Because party people practice being present. And Jesus, king of party people, was not in a hurry. He was not anxious. 
He was not nervous. And there's a lot of Christians I know who would have been yelling at Jesus, Jesus, you've only got so much time here. There's more people to heal. There's more demons to cast out. There's more scripture for you to write. Jesus, you need to clarify what you meant by predestination and propitiation. And what did you mean by presuppositionalism, Jesus? And are you supposed to overthrow the government? That's kind of what we thought you were here for. And Jesus is like, bro, calm down. Don't you see me reclining here? And they're like, yeah, that's the problem. We thought you were supposed to do all these other things. And, and he's like, dude, relax. We're eating. We're laughing. Why don't you try and go grab yourself some wings over there while I and my disciples continue reclining? And at the end of the day is what got Jesus killed. Because he met with sinners and he met with tax collectors in their homes, and he didn't preach at them, and he didn't condemn them, and he took time to eat with them, and relax with them, and get to know them, and when they invited him into their house, he took out his cell phone, and he put it in the little basket where everybody's phones and keys are supposed to go, and he went in to the dining room table, and he sat down and relaxed, and he told jokes, and they had fun, and he said, where's the food, and he probably fired up something amazing on the grill, because how many of y'all know Jesus could cook something, and he had fun. And he enjoyed life. And he said crazy stuff like, it's not the healthy people who need a doctor. It's the sick. And I didn't come here for the healthy ones. And he said, if you would have ever lost a sheep, wouldn't you go out and look for the sheep yourself? And he said, all authority has been given to me because I'm God. And people are like, this is crazy stuff. He's just, and he genuinely cared and he genuinely listened and he met people exactly where they were at and not everybody got healed and not everybody heard a sermon. Why? Because God gave us the power through his Holy Spirit to do all of those things. And Jesus said, you'll do even greater things than I've done when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Write this down and then we're done. Party people know how to pay attention. Party people know how to pay attention. God put you on this planet at this time, in this church, at your work, at your school, in your marriage, with your friends, not so that you could just enjoy life, but so that you could start an earthquake. It's time for you to stop celebrating sports and start celebrating the Savior of the world and get involved and start getting excited about Jesus and start serving and start giving and start making a difference. Is there a time for studying and debating? Yes and amen. But Jesus said, by this, they'll know that you're my disciples. And he didn't say, by your learning. He said, by your love, they'll know that you're my disciples. And love necessitates you slowing down and meeting people exactly where they're at and enjoying some parties and enjoying life and celebrating the fact that God gave you another day on this planet to breathe air and tell jokes and have fun for the purpose of making a difference in somebody else's life. That's why you're here, to change destinies. God, we love you. We thank you. We praise 
your glorious name. Thanks for giving us just the opportunity and freedom to even come and gather in this place right now. God, we know there are places in this world where this isn't even an option. For whatever reason, you've chosen to give us freedom to come in here and celebrate your beautiful Son and praise your glorious name. God, give us cause today to leave this place excited. Give us cause to to cheer. Help us enjoy a party this afternoon with the Super Bowl. Thanks for entertainment. Thanks for football. God, thanks for giving us a unified spirit in this place to say anybody but the Patriots. Come on. God, we look to you right now just again to do what you've always done and empower us. Give us joy. Give us excitement. As we continue to pray, as we continue to seek God, I believe God is speaking in this place right now. I just want you to quiet your hearts and hear his voice. I do, I do believe this is a holy moment. God's asking something of you. He's encouraging you somehow. And I just believe that for some of you in this place right now, God is inviting you to his party because you've never said yes. He's asking for the RSVP right now. He wants you to spend an eternity in heaven with him because of what his son Jesus did on the cross for you. I just want to give you a chance to say yes right now. Say, Jesus, I believe in you, in the power of your death and resurrection. Forgive me of my sin and make me new. Thank you for saving me. God, thank you for meeting us where we're at. Help us again today to find joy in the small things, to battle through some of our bad days in order to have the best days. Again, we love you, we praise you, we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.